Curious about the latest in the world of freight and how it impacts you and your business? Dive into our exclusive release of the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index. Gain deep insights from the billions of transactions they handle each quarter. Visit usbank.com forward slash freight hyphen index to explore the release and sign up for quarterly updates. For a dynamic take on this information and to learn what's happening now in the business world, stay in the loop by subscribing to Supply Chain Now on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Man, we got a great conversation teed up here today with two special guests. One's a repeat guest, many of you are going to recognize, backed by popular demand. And hey, he's brought back up with him here today. We got one heck of a dynamic duo. So I want to introduce our featured guest directly. Join me in welcoming Korai Jose, Senior Director Analyst with Gartner. Korai, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having us. You bet. Great to see you. And hey, you're joined by Marty Resnick, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Marty, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. You bet. Now, Marty, you are a fellow Atlantan, and we're going to start, you know, a lot of our folks know Karai. He's been with us on a couple of shows. Uh, Marty, this is your first appearance. We're kindred spirits and that we're fellow Atlantans, but man, you're a LA Dodger fan. Tell me more about that. How'd you grow up a Dodger fan? Absolutely. I mean, I moved to Georgia about 11 years ago. I grew up in LA. I'm a San Fernando Valley guy. Okay. Grew up with the Dodgers. So I bleed Dodger blue and we have a saying in my family that all blue is Dodger blue. (laughs) Hey, right, I'll go with it. Uh, I love passion. And of course, I love baseball. And hey, we've been jealous. I'll, I'm very proud of that uh, 2021 uh, Atlanta Braves World Series, but I'm even more jealous of uh, Dodgers talent and Do- Dodgers uh, payroll. So we'll see. We'll see if we can't uh, even up the score coming up soon. Uh, hey, one other quick thing that we learned in pre-show, uh, Marty, tell me about this landscape photography. I hear you do a lot of that on the side. Yeah, I just, I love photography. I think it started as kind of a tech geek, you know, playing with the camera. Then as my kids were getting older and playing sports, took a lot of pictures of that and just found that I really enjoy getting out there and getting the shot, getting a nice, beautiful landscape, uh, landscape shot. So I really enjoy it a lot. So what's one of your favorite shots you've personally taken? Um, it's actually out here in Atlanta, if you know where uh, JD's by the lake is, up at Lake Alatuna. Yeah. And it's beautiful out there. And there's a beautiful fall picture where one thing I love about Georgia is we actually have four seasons in California. We did not. (laughs) And when you saw those beautiful fall colors and I I took it over the lake and some smoothed out the water and stuff like that was a very beautiful shot. I'm very proud of. Man, welcome to Supply Chain Now. Looking forward to sharing your expertise and perspective with our global audience. Now, Karai, by now we're like second cousins, all the collaboration we've done. Uh, I admire your expertise on supply chain. Uh, and in global business and whatnot, but even more so, I admire your passion for making a difference and 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 the actions you take there. So, uh, but Kora, what I didn't know until this today's pre-show 
is that you've got, you've done a little bit of sailing. So about three years ago, you were sailing the high seas across uh, the Boston Harbor. Is that right? That's right. I actually have a, a sailing cruising license. Yes. Um, but since we have the little one, I haven't been on the water much at all. So I'm a danger <laughs> captain. <laughs> well, so what's, uh, I got two follow-up questions for you. What is your favorite part? I mean, clearly with, with the credentials that you were talking about, you take it seriously. You did a lot of it. What's, what's your favorite part of sailing? Just being out on the water and just let your thoughts just go its way, you know, I think that's uh, that's certainly one. And then the fresh air. And of course, if the harbor police doesn't see you, you, you may open up a can of uh, a <laughs> beverage of your choice as well. Okay, that's interesting. Man. Yes. <laughs> all right. So we're all going to have to go sailing. We're going to have to bring Marty along to talk supply chain shop and to take gorgeous pictures. And, and we'll see if we can talk baseball. We'll see. Um, hey, one last thing, though, Karai. Uh, would you like to make a commitment? So it's been three years or so. When are you want to commit to uh, uh, sailing again? When are you looking to get back out there? How about when we through the recession? Okay. Would that be would that be a would that be a good target? <laughs> hey, that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. Um, all right. Well, Marty and Kara, thanks for sharing a little bit about who you are uh, with our audience. It's so neat to really get to know folks a little bit better before we dive into global supply chain. And to that end, um. Let's uncover a little bit of your professional background, which I think is going to set the table for some of the uh, perspective you share here in a minute. So, Marty, back with you. You serve as vice president on Gartner's technology innovation team, which is based here in Atlanta. Um, tell us about a couple of your earlier stops that really impacted your worldview. Actually, I got into technology probably about the same time a lot of people did the web boom, you know, 1999, yep. 2000, got into web hosting. Uh, then moved into enterprise, which is a whole different world when it comes to technology, doing a lot of ERP, uh, worked at a toy company, really kind of changed my view of, of uh, technology and enterprise technology at the time. Did some CTO roles and some consulting. So really come from a lot of different backgrounds when it comes to technology. So having this opportunity to talk about emerging tech and looking at the future and stuff like that just really appealed to me. And I really just love uh, having that opportunity to look at emerging tech. Mm. I, I bet it is fascinating and really cool to work in the toy industry. It sounds like that was a very pivotal role for you. It was great. I mean, I, I guess I can say the best part about it is I never had to buy a birthday present. Oh, man. <laughs> Fringe so, benefits. Always oh. can. Yes. Love it. Um, okay. So, Kora, let's switch over to you. Uh, many of you, many of our listeners will know that you serve on Gartner's supply chain operations team, but we haven't really talked about your background oftentimes. Prior to this role, you've served in companies, leadership roles, uh, companies like Volkswagen, AG, Bose, Philips, and the Federal Reserve. So tell us a little more. Yeah, so early on, I, I started in automotive and was uh, working for them globally uh, in Germany as well as in Mexico. Uh, and uh, then I made it to the U.S. Uh, from Mexico and um, for my postgrad studies and uh, discovered a few more industries, high tech and life sciences uh, here, especially in the surroundings of Boston. You have this most expensive square mile of office space for uh, pharma and life science. So every life science company with name has their offices representations here as well. So I ended up there for a couple gigs um, and then the Federal Reserve uh, had an opportunity as a head of procurement and compliance for the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. So served there a few years uh, trying to put strategic sourcing into the minds of uh, 
government and public uh, servants, which was quite an interesting challenge, but I had a great time there, great learnings as well. And I experienced the two uh, chairs, Chair Yellen and uh, Paul. So I had the opportunity to serve under both. And now they're on the other sides. One is in treasury, the other one is uh, keeping those interest rates going. So <laughs> certainly watching from the sidelines, very interesting. You've been holding out on us. I had no idea you worked uh, for a stretch at the Fed. I bet you could write a write a book on, on that experience. We'll have to have you on an additional episode and dive deep in that. Just about that, yes. <laughs> yes, just about that. All right, but I, I want to switch gears. Now that we've really got a good feel for uh, Marty uh, and Korai and, and some of what they've done in their career, I want to talk about Gartner Futures Lab, where, as I understand it, the mission is to prepare leaders for uncertainty, by really exploring all sorts of new ways of imagining the future. Now, I think I got that right, Marty. Tell me more. Yeah, we spend a lot of time starting with the what if question. You know, what if X, Y, Z happens or or whatever else? And, and then getting into the so what. We all do a, a great job saying, what if generative AI takes over the world or Terminator becomes a real thing? <laughs> but what we want to talk about is so what? What does that mean to our organizations, whether it's supply chain, just our CIOs, CTOs, CEOs, whoever it is? What does that really mean? And we try to do it in kind of a different way than the mainstream Gartner research. So we have four pillars. Uh, those four pillars are Maverick, which is a lot of fun. We really get to kind of stretch our limits of our imagination. Okay. Uh, disruptions, trends, and then critical uncertainties. And so getting to work on all four of those things from a Gartner perspective has been really good and actually really supports a lot of the research that you're seeing coming out of uh, Gartner today. Okay, quick follow-up question. Out of those four, Marty, what is? Uh, do you have a favorite? Well, I should say trends because we're talking about tapestry today, but I got to admit Maverick is where I got started. In fact, when I was a client of Gartner, uh, that's what I read. I mean, I really love the Maverick work. Maverick work is, is basically, again, taking things to the limits. So mm. one of the topics I really enjoy is like human augmentation. You know, what is the evolution of the human going to be with all this technology and and biogenetics and all of those things. And so I would always read the Maverick things. And so my goal when I got hired as a Gartner analyst, when I knew that I made it as yeah. a Gartner analyst, when I published my first Maverick, I just loved it. From then on, it's just, I think that's some of our best research. So I got to ask, and Karan, we'll get your take uh, on the Gartner Futures Lab too, but it was Maverick named after a certain high profile pilot of one of the most popular movies in recent memory? No. No. Okay. But so it was named after, I think it's Samuel Maverick from like the early 1900s. Ah. But, but it was interesting all last year, all the jokes that we got around <laughs> Maverick coming out and people playing with our logos and all of that stuff. So <laughs> taking it, uh, it to only the limits. Us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Good timing. Uh, good vision there. All right. So to follow up on this Gartner Futures Lab thing that we're just talking with Marty about, uh, Kara. What is this 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 tapestry that you and I were talking about? Tell me what that is and, and what's the why there? So the tapestry analysis is the macro strategic analysis of Gartner looking really into signals of today that give us insights of uh, trends that will be impactful in three to five years, roughly. And we call it tapestry because we look at seven different areas more diligently, T for technology, P for political E for economic trends, S for social cultural trends, the T is for trust and ethics trends that will impact leaders, 
R is for regulatory slash legal trends that we need to be aware of and looking into. And last E is for environmental changes and trends that will be important for leaders of today to take into consideration in any decision that is impactful now and our investments for their future. I love this new direction and I love how deliberate you are and you because know, trend spotting that you were seeing talking about pre-show those are muscles that, 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 that just happen we've got to work those muscles better and actively so we can be more effective uh with trend spotting would you agree karai absolutely and unfortunately in supply chain we're missing that it's a white space that we need to really tap into more and make sure that we not just live the event at its full anxiety moment, uh, but also really dedicate time and resources to look for signals to understand the future today. Well said, Kara. So Marty, I'm back to you. Any additional comments you have on tapestry? And then Marty, if you can speak to how the research is conducted. Yeah, so tapestry is very similar to other models like Hassel or Steeple that people may use. If you, you think about those categories, or they're probably pretty much the same. I think what makes tapestry unique is this idea that it's weaving together the trends. Because what happens is in many organizations, your tech guys are looking at technology trends and your marketing folks are looking at social cultural and your legal folks are looking at regulatory and legal. What we're trying to do is bring all those together and weave those together to tell a story. And so each edition of tapestry that comes out, we have its own story that we try to build on and how these interrelate. I think that's really the critical part of tapestry and what makes it different. Marty, I love that. Before you move on to the, how the research is conducted, because really in, in my ears, I hear silo busting because it's so important. And what you described there, that, that's one of the many reasons why we have silos across the enterprise. And if we can, if we can weave all these forces and these skill sets and the talents and the perspectives and the trend spotting and the observations, all that together, man, we can really move mountains. Um, Tell us, Marty, how the research is conducted. So we have seven groups, seven working groups or cohorts, one for each of those categories. And each group has their own lead and co-lead. Karai is one of the leads of our political group. And we kind of let them run it their own way because each group has its own personality. Some like meeting in person, some are all about teams or email or whatever else. But we let them kind of just come together and and determine what the trends are from all the signals that they're seeing. Uh, and oftentimes what's really interesting about tapestry is uh, somebody like Karai, he covers supply chain, but his passion is around geopolitical trends. So he gets to kind of work that muscle and, and get into the political side of things, even though that's not his core topic. We're starting to see a lot of passion from those people involved because they're really talking about um, trends that they're passionate about. And it really mm -hmm. shows in the research. You know, I can't agree with you more of all the many conversations that our team and I've had with Karai, man, that passion of what's going on around the world and, and the analysis that Karai offers, Karai, that clearly is right up your alley, huh? That's a lot of fun. I agree. And, you know, while I may be a really good fit into that from a supply chain perspective recently, I think there are a lot of different professions that weave into the storyline perfectly when we think about political impact, right? Think about uh, digital business, think about uh, legal compliance, uh, human resources, sustainability research. I think that all comes into the political agenda very nicely, but it basically is the same thing for all the other uh, tapestry um, areas that we research. Okay, complexity chaos and confidence, a tapestry of trends across 
brave new worlds. I've always loved that phrase. I think the aim is to help leaders decrease complexity, embrace chaos, and drive confidence. Marty, tell us more about uh, what the brave new worlds means and then speak to those objectives. Absolutely. So brave new worlds really refers to kind of the three worlds we're living and working in now and going to be working in in the future. I call it multiversal, but it's this idea that there's a lot of complexity around the world around us. Uh, Karai being an expert in political trends knows all about that. But we're also exploring new worlds, which is industrialization of space, which hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about. And then new worlds that we're creating with the metaverse. So your organizations of today are going to have to start creating strategies around how do I work across those three worlds mm. and how do those all come together? And that's going to increase chaos, complexity, and we're going to have a lack of confidence. So really from a strategic point of view, what do we do about that? How do we increase and drive that confidence? How do we embrace that chaos that's coming and decrease that complexity? So although we're going to a world of uncertainty, we have a lot more confidence going in that direction. Well said, uh, Marty. And I love those three. Uh, I bet a lot of our, our listeners can really, it resonates with them. Uh, Karai, what would you add to that? I think um, we, we look at um, the trends that are also a little bit on the spectrum. So topics that are at first far-fetched for some leaders, we can contextualize it to their specific use case and help them to really drive almost as a first mover into an area um, and uh, harvest all the advantage doing so. Um, we always struggle to be the innovator slash disruptor that goes first, but doing the specific exercise really enables you to accomplish that. And leading companies that really take these stories that we weave into uh, great research um, together, those are really interesting conversations at first, and then when we touch base with those leaders a few months later, they actually took action on that. And that's pretty amazing. Hey, taking action, that should be that. I mean, that's like the pinnacle of great research and great discussion. And, and uh, I mean, that's what, that's, that's what it's all about. Aldous Huxley is probably uh, beaming from ear to ear, wherever he is on how y'all have embraced uh, brave new worlds. I remember reading that book. Uh, I think I was a senior in high school when I went through that. Um, good stuff there. Um, all right. So those three trends I just spoke about. So let's start with uh, generative generative AI, generative artificial intelligence. I think I said that right. Marty, you want to you start there? Yeah. And if I may, we, we talked about stories and yes. Aldous Huxley and stuff like that. Uh, I, I got to say, we're actually doing some sci-fi storytelling at Gartner. So Tapestry is actually creating um, these science fiction stories we're calling Brave New Worlds. And so we're actually doing some episodic storytelling at Gardner as well. So there's a lot of ways that we can present the stories within uh, Tapestry. So sorry, I just had to oh, throw that, that out there. Well, Marty, you know, you're sharing that uh, you and Karai, as Karai pointed out earlier, we are recording this on May the 4th, and of course, Star Wars Day around the world. So uh, and <laughs> I'm trying to fight the urge from about 17 Star Wars analogies right now, but we'll let those happen organically, right? So so. Tell us more about Gen AI. So yeah, so generative AI, I and mean, we're all seeing it in action right now. We're, we're all talking about it. An example of it is ChatGPT. Uh, maybe some people are using Midjourney to create some artwork. Uh, we have some artwork, for example, like a cat with in an astronaut suit to kind of right. show an example of what generative AI would do. But it's really referring to 
an AI technique that it can learn from a representation of different artifacts and bring those all together to create something new, like a new artifact. Uh, generative AI has often been connected to things like deep fakes. Like, for example, we're watching a video right now. How do I know that's really Karai speaking? Mm -hmm. It could be a, a deep fake of him. So that's uh, generative AI has just been a hot topic. Uh, Karai, what would you add to that? I think when we're looking at, and I want to contextualize it always back to supply chain, we are looking at supply chains that they are extremely complex and we don't have much insights. Uh, and visibility has been an issue for decades. So generative AI will help us to take those artifacts off supply chains and really drive transparency for the end consumer based on the specific question you're asking and not just what is given to you as information that is sort of like categorized. So as a consumer, or even we go a step back as a company, Gen AI has the power to truly answer specific questions that come ad hoc and can contextualize it towards a specific event as well. I think there is tremendous opportunity for supply chain technologies to embrace Gen AI and the ones that will do so first, they will certainly get ahead of the game because it's not anymore, oh, I'm a niche in this, I'm right. a niche in that, but Gen AI sort of makes it a generalist expert in everything, sort of. And I think that is a game changer. The advantage of the first movers, right? The advantage of the first movers, one thing you're speaking to there. So Marty, you mentioned earlier multiverse, which is very close, I think, to the second thing we're talking about, the second trend, the metaverse. If we've heard anything in here in the last few years, we've heard about the metaverse. Tell us more, Marty. You know, again, as part of Brave New Worlds, metaverse is one of those worlds that we're creating. I think it's important for people to understand metaverse is not just Ready Player One, if we're going to refer to movies, but in this idea that we're going to go into this world in this virtual world and God, I would love to drive a DeLorean in a race, but metaverse is so much more than that. It's really, as I define it, it's the next level of interaction between physical and digital worlds. And if we think about that, we kind of divide it into three different areas. We've got transport, that metaverse we're going to go to, that's the virtual reality and 3D simulation. We've got transform, which is going to be really exciting around bringing the digital to us in the physical world and then how it's going to transform around us and then transact, you know, the NFTs, the economy, the infrastructure and everything else of metaverse. So as we think about these new ways that we're going to be interacting in these new worlds that we're going to be able to work in, there's really a lot of excitement around it. There's also a lot of caution. There's also a lot of people saying, well, how are we ever going to get to that kind of world. So metaverse is like, just like generative AI is a pretty hot topic for us. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, uh, that connection between the physical and digital world, I think everyone uh, can embrace that. And, 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 uh, and clearly how it's impacting for years now, global supply chain. I mean, that makes so much sense. Karai, what would you add about the metaverse? I would say there is also a strong misconception out there. Um, that's why we're doing this research and try to contextualize it to the specific use case. It's literally not just uh, some gaming functionality that enhances your world of Warcraft uh, friendship <laughs> with others. Okay, Literally, when we're thinking about metaverse, we're thinking use cases in uh, maintenance and repair for machinery, you know, conducted by experts that may sit, you know, in, in, in Alaska and they 
they are repairing a machine in Northern Africa, for instance, with a robot that they're managing through the metaverse, for instance, right? So those use cases are very close to be real. The famous one that I, I read about, uh, you know, the medical environment was a surgeon actually peeling a banana, right? So those are certain simplifications of the use cases. But imagine what we could do with doctors to be behind the scenes, really managing surgery for people that do not have access. And if that could be the metaverse, I mean, why not, right? Yes. So that is something that is extremely powerful. And the three layers Marty laid out there are applicable to supply chain leader, as much as to a finance leader, to, to someone who is in logistics, and uh, even to someone who is in entertainment. And that could be uh, extremely um I would say, uh, a changing moment in how we perceive business and how we exchange values. All right. So I want to follow up on, um, you know, Marty, you and Karai both have used the, this word contextualize numerous times throughout our conversation. And one of my long held thoughts um, is oftentimes we as humans, as leaders, as professionals, uh, we're just geared to, to act without all the context, all the critical context. And that is such a dangerous, that's a gap, big gap. Marty, speak to that real quick. And then we're going to talk about a different element of the metaverse. You made a statement earlier about the art of the possible. So I think that's a good example of, you know, having all the context. We we tend to, to talk to clients that may be on one or other side of the spectrum, either art of the possible, I want to be the first mover, or I love this stuff, Let's let's get ahead of everything, anything is possible. The other side is tyranny of the possible, mm. which is that will never work in our environment. Like supply chain would never go to metaverse or use generative AI. That just won't work for us. That's we call that the tyranny of the possible. When you bring that context together, that's where you bring it all to the middle. That that context becomes your balance between the tyranny of the possible and the art of the possible. Marty, man, uh, Karai, what would you add to that? That's some brilliance there. What would you add to that, Karai? Speechless. He, he literally he really knocked it out of the park. That's why I brought Marty because he is like 10x of my intelligence. So exactly. Well, the two bookends he just spoke to, right? The art of the possible and the tyranny of the impossible. That makes so much sense to me. And it's about bringing everyone to the middle so we can get stuff done that does create the opportunities and, and drive innovation, drive the evolution of organizations. And frankly, I don't think I'm being too dramatic here. The evolution of the craft, as Greg White puts it, and that's global supply chain management. So one last thing about metaverse is industrial metaverse. Marty, what are we talking about? So that's more specifically to what Karai was talking about, logistics and manufacturing and supply chain. It's really about we're starting to dip our toes in the water around digital twins and starting to look at industry 4.0 and AI. And the goal of industrial metaverse is to bring all those things together with an immersive front end. And so how can we start embracing some of these metaverse technologies, whether it be spatial computing on that transform, bringing to the physical world or transport, bringing all those technologies that kind of live in their own silos. You were talking about silos earlier, but kind of live in their own silos, industrial metaverse designed to bring all those together today. And so we're starting to see a lot of chatter uh, around this term industrial metaverse. Yeah, love that. Uh, Karai, anything you would add? Maybe just to visualize it as an example, right? Let's say there is a very famous cook, all right? And he can only cook in one restaurant because physically he can only be there, right? 
assume an environment where he is augmented by the ability to cut onions, by the ability to cook things just from distance. And he's actually literally doing that in one kitchen and it's replicated in 100 kitchens. Mm. So the expansion of reach is what industrial metaverse can do in a way that the quality is not lost at all and the authenticity of the product is preserved. And I think that is something that is the art of the possible we mentioned this surgery example, and that's literally where, you know, things can be trained to an extent and expanded into areas, as I said before, where equity does not provide access. This mm. breaks down all frontiers. Kara, I, I love what you shared there. And in particular, uh, the cooking example you used and the doctor peeling the banana example you used. The best part, in my view, about those is they're very grounded. They're very practical. Folks understand what you're talking about. They're not too theoretical. And as we all know, there are so many opportunities in global supply chain for real practical outcomes, practical results using some of the um, these trends we're talking about, some of the, the emerging tools and technology. So love that. I'm a big fan. You know, Marty and Kara, I'm sharing too much here, but uh, Amanda still loves to make fun of me that on our, our first Valentine's Day, I gave her an umbrella. So as you can, uh, because I noticed she was running through the rain one time and didn't have one. And she's always made fun of that practical side of who I am. <laughs> but but it's so, you know, as we get into these, not even emerging technology, a lot of what we're talking about has been around for you know, a long time, but we got to keep it approachable, right? That's where we get reached a tipping point. That's where we we bring people with us and we do more and do it faster and do it right. Um, okay, let's move to this last trend. And I love this one. I don't know if y'all are, I'll, I'll self-identify. I'm a big old space nerd. You might can see the space shuttle back behind me and I got it at Smithsonian. Are y'all fellow space nerds, Marty and Karai? Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. Man, I knew y'all are my people. Um, let's talk about the industrialization of space. So Marty, let's start with you here. What what uh, Give us some thoughts around what we're seeing. So really, this is probably the most simplest to describe. It's all that commercial activity we're seeing outside of Earth's atmosphere. So whether it be launches that are happening with rockets, whether it be low, low Earth orbit satellites to help us with our network connectivity, new ways of doing space mining, new ways of testing medical uh, within laboratories, space tourism, all these new things that are coming to light that's happening really outside of planet Earth. So industrialization is all about all that new commercial activity and how we expect it to increase exponentially over the next 15 years. It is exciting. It is you know as as exciting as I always found the space shuttle era of space, you know, in, in the late 70s, throughout the 80s and, and 90s. Man, what we're seeing now and the partnerships between the, the governmental and the, the the private sector and and talk about the art of the possible, man. This is going to be exciting things ahead to James Webb Space Telescope and how that's changing our fundamental understanding of the universe. Karai, what would, what would you add? What gets you excited about this industrialization of space? I mean, I'm a supply chain nerd, right? So I'm excited because the payloads are getting so much more affordable. So at some point I can shoot my own satellite up there. So we estimate a $10 per kilogram payload cost not far from today. When we're thinking about the decrease of cost of payload, you can really think again about so many players that get access to do something with the different uh, atmospheres, LEO, uh, MEO, and GEO, what that means, low Earth orbit, mm. medium 
Earth orbit and uh, geostationary, basically. And what we're talking about right now, most importantly, is the LEO environment where we see Starlink making a huge impact on communication and communication access. And when we just bring it down to reality in the Russian invasion of Ukraine, one reason the Ukrainian forces are so successful in the asymmetric engagement is because they have access to communication in any way, shape or form uh, in the moment. And that helps a lot for them, for instance, in this case, right? But that's just a war uh, uh, application. But let's think about people educationing, right? So you are in remote locations. And uh, if you if you remember, you know, in Australia, like in, when I was a kid, what I was always amazed by how kids are being homeschooled and are uh, basically uh, schooled through an RC, right? And they're listening on the radio to their teacher. I mean, that completely changes now with having access of internet and basically of everything knowledge uh, anywhere you are. That's one. Mm. And second to that, I think, we're looking at uh, areas like power generation, where the European Union is running a project to create solar panel power plants in space that will then transfer through laser the energy down to a geostationary reception. And in space, you have always sunshine, right, if you're on the right side. So when you have that opportunity to create such an immense change to dynamics that we are fighting for day in, day out on the planet Earth, then we also can think about mining on asteroids, rare earth minerals, for instance. Um, we can think about the population uh, and the mining of the moon. If you think about this topic, you cannot talk, avoid talking about Elon Musk and uh, SpaceX and all associated with that technology gain, which, by the way, is open source. So that's like the most critical point of that engagement. It's not something where the you would be in patent infringement if you would try to copy it. Why are not many more copying it? Because it's actually really difficult to get it done. Mm. So failure is part of that journey in industrialization of space. Many think that the uh, blown up largest rocket that we were able to watch just a couple of weeks ago was a failure. It was actually one of the biggest strides humanity has done so far and the next step is get that rocket really fly even longer so that's mm. how we need to think about it so industrialization of space is in fact on top of all the leading companies i would say c-level conversations they're not open most of them are behind the doors but i can tell you they are certainly top of mind and this is an area that is exponentially growing i completely agree and i love the picture you paint there I would just add, not to be Debbie Downer, uh, right? Um, but this is a play, the industrialization of space, and you're talking about the, the shifting economics of that. It is exciting, right? It's, it's, it's an extension of the democratization of technology, which is enables so many, right, to, to jump in and do, do uh, great things. However, as you all know, it also opens the door for bad actors that want to do other things. And, uh, and you know, with all the emerging and tremendous, uh, immense cyber threats, this just adds a, a, uh, an additional element to that. So we have got to move into this era with eyes wide open and make sure we've got a foolproof plan to really mitigate that risk. Uh, your final, let's get your final thoughts on that. Marty, you first. Yeah, and I think that points out an important part of Tapestry is really Tapestry is delivered as two pages. Right. So today we talked about all the opportunity with Gen AI and metaverse industrialization of space. But 
the second page of the card is all about opportunities, risks, business impacts, inhibitors, and accelerators. So just want to point out, we need to take a balanced approach. And we do that with tapestry, right? We talked about that with Art of the Possible. We want to look at it from both sides and and be cautious. All of these things, I, I know industrialization space has been around for a little while now. Metaverse, we've been talking about for a while. They're really nascent. They're unproven. We don't know. So we need to tread cautiously, but optimistically as well. So I, I think, again, uh, that's that's the big part of that we're trying to look at tapestry to present it in such a way What's the impact these trends are going to have across tapestry, but also almost as important is what are the impacts across tapestry that they're going to have on the trend? Mm. Generative AI, for example, from a technology perspective, may be way far ahead of where social is going to keep it or trust and ethics or regulatory or whatever else. So, uh, again, all these things have to come together. They weave together to tell a story and we need to look at both sides. Yes, Marty, a holistic conversation where we're pulling all the voices into the dialogue. It, I love the picture you paint there or the picture you snapped, maybe, to go back to your uh, photography hobby. I love that. Uh, Kara, your final word there, whether it's an element that Marty brings up or, or something else you want to, before we wrap, uh, want to share with our audience. I think uh, what is really important in the tapestry anal analysis is just to contextualize, again, I use that word, to the specific industry and how that will shape the industry you are currently in or you're trying to get into. That's, that's I think, really important because trying to boil the ocean with too many trends and too vague of statements is not going to be successful as to translate it into, you know, your community or your employees to buy into that, for instance, right? Mm. They don't want to have some uh, space force leader in front of them and talk about the weirdest thing. And, you know, you walk out of the room and you may think he lost it or she lost it, right? Right. You just go back to Excel, right? <laughs> so let's do Excel sheets. It's the safest we know. So, I've seen that show, Kara. I've seen that show. Okay. All right. Exactly. So that's not the leader that we want to support, or we're not anticipating that you turn into that kind of leader by reading the Maverick stories that Marty mm. and team are writing. Um, that's uh, one. And maybe the, the other part is always think about inhibitors and accelerators, because looking at a trend is snapping a moment like you say, right? Um, but the very next moment you look at it and it may have excelled quite quickly. And then it's about the inclusion to the other factors that we're looking into. As Marty pointed out, society may be way further down the road uh, utilizing Gen AI in everything. I mean, I teach at the Northeastern University mm -hmm. and I actually engage them and say, like, just look it up. Do you know the answer? You don't know the answer. Just ask ChatGPT, guys. You have the laptops in front of you. <laughs> I ask you a question, type it in. And what I'm trying to hone in there is you don't need to know everything, but you need to know to run the analysis and mm. look for the right sources. So I do not ban Bard AI or ChatGPT because otherwise they'll do it in the background anyway. I, I actually engage them to utilize it and to make them more advanced than anyone else utilizing those tools and sources. So prohibiting those are in companies important when regulatory issues come into play, like your IP gets out there and you want to protect it, absolutely makes sense. Mm. But when it's about academia, teaching, common good, right? Utilize it to the fullest extent. And you know we will have to be conscious about the fears and the bad actors, 
but I believe the trade-offs of embracing tapestry are positive. Yes. Uh, Kara, I agree with you. And we can't give in to fear and be paralyzed. we got to keep moving and, and evolving, innovating. But one, one last thing, uh, Marty and Kara, I was talking to, um, talked to several uh, chief supply chain leaders this week with really big organizations, and they both shared a common concern. Y'all might be hearing this in your conversations too. Now that we're firmly into the post-pandemic environment, this kind of adds to what you're saying there, Karai. We can't let the lessening momentum because things are starting, you know, have opened back up and, and pressures have changed in a variety of different places. We can't that allow us to take, take that eye out of the uh, off the ball of all the great change that has come out of the tremendous challenge and pain and heartbreak that was the pandemic. Industry is changing. You know, a lot of great leaders are taking those the silver linings from all that turmoil and putting it into changing industry as it should. And uh, both express concerns around uh, maintaining and protecting that momentum. And I agree with them wholeheartedly. Okay. So Marty Resnick, well, I'm so glad Karai connect us with you. I appreciate your good work and your perspective, sense of humor. Uh, and we're going to have to get together and, and maybe break bread over uh, a meal here in Atlanta, maybe talk baseball and photography. Uh, how can folks connect uh, with you, Marty, on all the uh, good things you're up to? Uh, probably the easiest way is LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Marty underscore Resnick on Twitter. Either one of those channels is probably a great way. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, well, I really have enjoyed meeting you. We're talking with Marty Resnick, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Thanks for your time, Marty. Absolutely. Thanks. It's been great to be here. Wonderful. I feel like I've gotten a certification here today. And Cora Kose, Senior Director, Analyst with Gartner, one of our faves. Uh, he always brings the knowledge and the passion. And we talk about uh, doing good and taking action. Cora, you know, it's not lip service. It's all about what you do. That's what's in your DNA. And I really admire and respect you for it. But Kara, thanks so much for facilitating today's conversation. No, thank you, Scott, for uh, trusting that I, you know, can, can bring someone um, who is contributing way more than I could to the topic. <laughs> so appreciate, you know, the leap of faith you took when I proposed this topic and making it actually tangible for supply chain leaders. And um, appreciate Marty as well, taking time out of his busy schedule and, and joining us. And the silver lining of the pandemic is that I got to appreciate supply chain now very often and get to connect with you as if we have ever met in person, which is still due, by the way. So uh, I hope we make that a thing at some point and you explain me how baseball works because it's still a sport I, I don't understand. Okay. Marty, Marty, I, I appreciate that. Hurrah, <laughs> challenge accepted. Marty, that sounds like we can do that maybe over adult beverages and a good meal with Kara, and he can tell us about sailing. How's that sound? That sounds brilliant. Sounds great. All right. So, hey, uh, big thanks to both Marty and Kara. Hey, to our audience, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I wasn't kidding. I feel like uh, uh, I've earned a degree or certification talking with these two uh, sharp uh, business leaders here. But, hey, folks, it is all about taking action. Uh, as leaders, whether you're in supply chain or a different part of the global business society. we got to embrace that responsi responsibility we have at fueling the industry forward, making it easier for our team members that, hey, burnout is real and they're feeling the pressure. But despite all of that, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.